This is KCLR's Bottom Line with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants, the Southeast's largest independent accountancy practice. www.omf.ie and as well as being tarnished and leader of Fine Gael, Leo Varadkar, of course, is Minister for Enterprise, Trade and Employment, the government department, I suppose, who are totally on the front line of dealing with business during the COVID crisis. So on Thursday last, as the country slowly begins to emerge from the crisis, I asked Leo Varadkar what his message is to business. Well, my main message to people in the business community is, is one of thanks. Um, it's been a dreadful year. Uh, for many businesses around the country. Um, even as we speak, nearly 500 uh, in Kilkenny closed, uh, 200 in Carlow, um, really just opening this week. And uh, they've had such a difficult um, year because of the pandemic. And um, we did we asked them to close their businesses. We required them to close their businesses to save lives. And um, we've been successful in, in that regard. And I want to thank them for their cooperation. Um, but I also want to say to them that the government is on their side. Uh, the financial supports that we've put in place, um, like the weekly Chris payment um, when they're closed, the wage subsidy scheme, the reduced fat rate, the commercial rates uh, holiday, um, all of those things were done uh, to help reduce costs, to help businesses get through this. Um, and we're not going to withdraw them on the 30th of June. They can't last forever because they're paid for a borrowed money, but we're not going to withdraw them suddenly. And we're going to give businesses a chance to get back on their feet and recover and build up some cash before we uh, withdraw those financial supports. Um, and also the people around the pandemic unemployment payment. Um, last week, there were 11,000 people in, in uh, Kilkenny and Carlow on the payment. Um, a lot of those people are going to get, get to go back to work uh, over the next few weeks. Um, but some may have to wait until June or July until hospitality is fully opened. And again, I'd say the same message to them. Uh, that financial support is going to be there um, at least until you get a chance to get your job back. Yeah, now that'll be very welcome news for people, that general direction of travel, but the devil is always in the detail. Can you give us any indication of how you're going to decide who can get support beyond the end of June and who is going to have the net taken away or do you uh, envisage some sort of safety net continuing for people who are there on it at the moment for a couple of months at least? Yeah, well, it's definitely going to be for a couple months at least. And uh, I think for some sectors like uh, hospitality, aviation, arts, entertainment, tourism is going to have to go on for longer, maybe to the end of the year and even into next year because of the uh, impact on them. Uh, but, you know, there's really, really kind of three ways government can help. One is the low cost loans and the loan guarantees. They're going to stay in place for uh, quite some time. Um, and there's lots of firepower there for low-cost loans for businesses that, that want them. Um, we're going to bring in a new system of examinership uh, called SCARP. It's a small company uh, administrative rescue process, and that'll be in place by the autumn. And that's for businesses that are viable um, but need to restructure their debts and uh, may need to change some of their contracts and um, rental arrangements and so on. And instead of having to go to the high court and through the very expensive examinership process, there'll be a fast-track personal solvency type process for small businesses to restructure. We'll have that in place for the autumn. Uh, and then most importantly, things like the wage subsidy scheme that continues to apply for companies that are down 30% or more. Um, and um, the VAT rate of 9% will stay in place at least until the end of the year, may well be extended to next year. And we're looking at exempting commercial rates again for the third quarter of the year for those businesses uh, still closed or only partially open are, are most affected. So um, I'd love to give you more detail and I will, but it's going to be the end of May or the 1st of June before we can do that. And we're tying up or playing around with all the different options at the moment. Mm. And I don't want to give you information now that may turn out to be, be incorrect, but I think it's fair to say that... Um, 
uh, the financial supports will continue in place uh, over the summer um, and to the extent that they're phased out they'll be phased out very carefully and very gradually because we know there'll be a boom in consumer spending uh, over the next few months once people are allowed to spend money again uh, but we also know that won't last forever either and we don't want a situation whereby uh, in the autumn we see consumer spending uh, fall off and then also the government's financial supports being removed at the same time and uh, that would then tip businesses into failure at that point and we're going to try and avoid that as best we can. Yeah so you're saying the rates waiver will continue for eligible businesses up until the third quarter. Um, Chambers of Ireland uh, have been asking for rates waivers to continue into next year but you're just looking ahead to the third quarter. Yeah, well, and we, we haven't yet made a decision on the third quarter either. So, you know, we are examining options, um, both for the third quarter and the fourth quarter. And we're aware in Northern Ireland, for example, they've made an announcement that they're doing that, um, you know, a, a rates holiday for affected businesses for the full year. So it's kind of in the mix. But, you know, if you do more on rates, you're you're only able to do less on the way subsidy scheme you know the yeah, way it works yeah. is a limited one area um, a number of years ago there was a redundancy rebate scheme and uh, you know many people unfortunately will be facing making workers redundant chambers ireland also seeking a temporary reintroduction of a redundancy rebate scheme for smaller type businesses um how would you feel about that um, a, a very expensive thing to do and um, there's a risk as well uh, if you were to do that that you could potentially um, encourage more redundancies to happen than need to happen um, I don't think any employer will deliberately uh, lay somebody off but um, if the government uh, starts paying a chunk of the redundancy you could argue that you may see more people laid off as a consequence particularly if you make it temporary because they, they might actually bring forward redundancies yeah um, risk there uh, but we are going to come up with a solution for companies that can't afford to pay and there will be companies um, that are down a lot of staff can't take them back on we'll have to make them redundant um, and uh, if they have to pay those redundancies that might actually topple the business over entirely so we get that's the problem there mm. and we're looking for a solution that will allow us to help those businesses that um, that genuinely can't afford to pay the redundancy yeah um, now what about really small businesses last week on the program I had a business owner text in uh, who said that the turnover was uh, you know under 50,000 obviously yeah. a very small mom and pop shop kind of thing but um, they said that there's virtually nothing there for them that was their point how would you respond to that um, well, for, for for the Chris, you know, the weekly payment for businesses that are closed, there, there's no turnover uh, a limit or threshold. Um, I think what they're referring to there is is the SBASC, which is the Small Business Assistance uh, Scheme for COVID. Mm. And that's for um, rateable premises that aren't closed to the public um, and they have to turn over over 50,000 or more. But um, I'm, I'm examining that for the second round. There'll be a second round of grants from that scheme. And I am looking at that, that 50,000 turnover. Yeah. Uh, and I'm looking as well at the issue of people who operate their business from home or maybe only have vehicles. Um, and while they benefit from the wage subsidy scheme, they didn't benefit from the restart grant um, or from the uh, SBASC. So there are a few uh, companies there that we do want to help out in some way, and I'm looking at the options there. Yeah, but you mentioned... Sorry, Tony, go ahead. Uh, you know, bear in mind, you know, because they don't have rateable premises, that they, they would have lower fixed costs than, than most businesses. Yeah, now you mentioned working from home. Uh, you received a lot of acclaim, I suppose is the right word, for for announcing the, regal, uh, the legal right for employees to work from home. I've spoken to some businesses who said that that was done without adequate consultation or consideration um, of the complexities. How would you respond to that criticism? 
Oh well, it's 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 not done yet. <laughs> so uh, we did a public consultation on it, which uh, only finished up now in the last five or six days. So uh, we'll be examining um, the responses to that public consultation. So we haven't actually put it into law yet. Mm. Um, I should say it is going to be a right to request remote working. It's not a right to demand remote working. Mm. Uh, so. You know, there are some businesses that just won't be able to do it. And, you know, you and I could think of loads of examples, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, but the, I think it'll work. We haven't decided yet. will be similar to what is the case in, in the UK, where an employer, an employee, if they've been with, been with you for long enough, they can uh, make a request to remote work um, or work from home, full-time, part-time maybe. Uh, and then the business owner has to uh, respond within a certain period, maybe one month, maybe two. Um, and if they're refusing, give, give a reason and a good reason. Uh, and um, that can then be challenged uh, potentially the WRC um, but like there are good reasons as to why remote working isn't an option for uh, s- some jobs and some businesses and it will be possible for uh, employers to refuse uh, remote working and home working but they do have to give a, a decent reason as to why uh, and we see now it can be done you know mm. the world of work uh, ever more uh, complex and the whole health and safety never more important with hand sanitizing social distance screen and work screens and workplaces and so on a lot of complexities around the whole vaccination issue we had somebody on the program a number of weeks ago suggesting that it wouldn't be legal for employers to ask uh, their employees whether or not they'd been vaccinated um you know can you see difficulties down the road with uh, things like that yeah, I can. And uh, it's something um, we're going to have to work on. Um, it's never been the case in Ireland that we require people or force people to have a vaccine and we're not going to do that. And I don't think anyone's uh, proposing that. Um, and uh, certainly an employer couldn't require somebody to uh, have a vaccine. Um, but um there will be areas of work where potentially it might be justified you know certainly to work in the health service you're expected to have your hepatitis vaccine for example Mm. Uh, so you know it's it it is something that requires a bit more examination by government Um, but as things stand people have the right to bodily autonomy Mm. we don't take that away and that means that uh, you know you can't require or expect an employee to be to be vaccinated now hopefully this won't matter you know if, if enough of the country is vaccinated if we achieve herd immunity uh, this, this will be a virus that we manage like we manage many other viruses um, like the flu for example uh, and we don't require everyone to be vaccinated for that although it'd be good if more people were yeah now moving on to tourism uh, Tanishta it's a huge business in this area across uh, Kilkenny and Carlow I don't know if you're familiar but the US tour operator Association released a survey in the last week which showed that bookings from the US, Ireland was uh, number two in the in the destination that people wished to book in 2021. Not possible at the moment given the, the two-week uh, va- uh, quarantine requirement but, um, you know, a small window of opportunity to, to secure any US business this year. Can you give people in the tourist uh, industry any comfort or any hope in relation to overseas visitors coming in in 2021 yeah well first of all to say uh anyone who's fully fully vaccinated um is exempt from mandatory hotel quarantine um and that would apply to americans who are fully vaccinated although there and most of them are uh, although we still have a ban on non-essential travel mm. and now as a state so that's probably a, a moot point in in many ways um what what i you know we do need to take this one step at a time i think it would be a bit strange if we were um saying to people that it's okay to uh, go on foreign holidays and to uh, accept foreign tourists when we don't let people eat indoors in a restaurant mm. you know so um i, I think i, I suppose think what people in the tourist industry have been saying to me is that they need more than a plan or that we'll announce it at the end of june or whatever that they need a bit more kind of concrete 
roadmap for want of a better word yeah i i can give i can give a i can give an indication um but we've avoided giving a roadmap because this pandemic is still things happening. change yeah yeah and like the worst thing is to give people i i remember the amount of times we told the pubs that they were going to open in three weeks and mm. we kept pulling it away from them and i felt really bad about that so you don't want to give somebody a plan that's not really a plan um but if i was to kind of give an indication to where i think it'll go uh, i think it might be the common travel area first uh, allowing people to travel freely between um britain and ireland um they're heavily vaccinated in britain instance there is lower than here and uh because of the perversities of of northern ireland um we're we, we'll be able to holiday up there in um uh, in a few weeks time they'll be able to holiday down here uh, english and scottish people will be able to holiday up there and in fact we could even go to belfast and holiday with our english friends in belfast but not go to england and like that is a bit crazy so uh, i think the first step might be restoring the common travel area with britain and that would really help with, with connectivity and tourism uh, and then we've the european green pass and is uh, it too early to give indicative time frames on that tarnisha um or I, even I, target I, I, dates yeah, like, uh, I, I suppose, you know, I don't want to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it'll be reported all over the papers and then, then, then it'll be denied by somebody. Okay. Uh, that only cause a controversy and upset the industry more than more than they deserve. And but they but deserve. you understand it is very difficult for them to plan given the time frames involved. I suppose that's the central conundrum of, of trying to get through a pandemic. Yeah, and I do think, you know, most of the business, the vast majority of the business this year is going to be domestic tourism. Um, and, you know, bear in mind, if we open Ireland to tourism inbound and outbound, those same businesses could see a lot of can- cancellations if people suddenly decided they were going to go to Spain or Greece instead of um, uh, instead of Kerry or Kilkenny or, 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 or Galway. So mm. Into, but um, it's an interesting point though that you kind of touch off there is is how you communicate in a pandemic because like it's legitimate for businesses to um to to ask for for such information but as you suggest elements of us in the media then start jumping on everything you say is that a particular challenge it's just an occupational hazard of politics i don't um, <laughs> i don't bother about it okay uh, just the way it is and i understand that's the way it is and that, that's why we have to be careful in what we say as politicians and, and sometimes I'm not, not careful enough. Okay, well look, that's very candid of you. Uh, just looking ahead to the future and business um, business confidence, one of the things that people have been saying to me is that, you know, the government is going to face a huge bill. We had during the week the IMF indicating that they thought Ireland Inc. should be increasing taxes. Uh, many businesses that I've spoken to over the last week have said like, look, we'll be facing into having to pay all this back. And when I said I'd be talking to you, people said well can you assure us that we're not facing into an era of austerity to pay for all this stuff what's your feeling on that whole issue yeah i i don't think that would be necessary um of course austerity means different things to different people but to me it means you know pay cuts and welfare cuts and um you know increases in the usc and income tax and things like that and we don't have anything like that in mind at all um we have borrowed a lot of money uh, thankfully it's borrowed at uh, virtually zero percent uh which um uh, is unusual but that's the way monetary policy is happening at the moment um but we will have to close the deficit because that money while it doesn't necessarily have to be repaid back it does need to be refinanced and it does need to be serviced and interest rates won't be this low forever mm. so we will 
close the deficit. Um, we believe that we can close that deficit mainly through economic recovery. Uh, you know, we're talking about the economy bouncing back by 4% this year, maybe 5% next year. Uh, all those people back to work, all those businesses opening again, um, that will generate uh, new revenues. We'll be able to remove the emergency expenditure, things like the wage subsidy scheme, the pandemic unemployment payment, and that will do the vast majority of the heavy lifting, uh, in my view. Mm. Um, so if we are doing anything around taxes, I think it'll be some of the things that we've planned already, like like the carbon tax, for example. Um, it's not going to be increases in tax on work, uh, on, on income taxes, for example, because they're already very high in Ireland and people on quite modest incomes uh, already paid the highest rate of income tax. And that's actually uh, detracts talent and makes it hard to get investment into the country and would be a, a retrograde step, I think. Yeah, now COVID obviously dominating the headlines and pretty much the government agenda as well. But Brexit, you know, the UK, our largest trade partner, what's your evaluation of the impact it's had five months in? I think a lot of the impact has been masked by by the pandemic. Um, I I think it's probably the case that... um, uh, it's done more harm to trade than people think, um, mm. but because of the pandemic and because of stockpiling, that's been kind of masked. And we need to bear in mind as well that Brexit is still unfolding. Uh, Britain is yet to impose its its checks and customs on imports from Ireland and from the rest of the EU, and that's going to happen then in September or October. So uh, I think it's still a, a bumpy ride. Um, I'm saying to business to prepare for that. Uh, we're offering grants to businesses of €9,000 through Enterprise Ireland um, so you can hire or train up a customs official. This is something you, you know, you're going to need to do uh, mm. if you're uh, exporting or trading with Britain. Um, and we also are at the moment in the Dáil um, enhancing the Brexit loan scheme so that uh, businesses can get loans over the course of six years at a very low interest rate to uh, make adaptions to Brexit. So, um, um, you know, it is something that's still unfolding. Um, yeah, an interesting point you, you make about how it's kind of hidden. I was talking to a very successful businessman who does a lot of business in the UK and he was just talking about the price of stuff that's going up mm. hugely. He mentioned UK manufactured bin bags um, before Christmas, €8.50 and in February, €14. Euros. Um, are we going to suddenly wake up and realise the costs of everything are gone through the roof because of Brexit? Um, I, 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 I doubt it and, and you know sometimes the price of things goes up for reasons other than Brexit I, mm. I, I, don't, know, I don't know much about bin bags to be honest but I, I doubt it's all down to, down to Brexit if the increase is, is, is that big um, but one area where potentially we'll see an increase for example is, is flour because um, in Ireland we don't mill any flour at least not on industrial scale and um, uh, flour for example is imported largely from Britain but most of the wheat is Canadian mm. uh, so uh, tariff supply um, which is something that you know we weren't talking about or we didn't potentially see as an issue before Brexit happened. So, but it's also an opportunity. You know, maybe we should mill flour uh, here in Ireland, and uh, we government is willing to invest and help um, businesses to take advantage of some of those opportunities to do things here uh, that we used to uh, import from Britain. Yeah. Now, um, bringing things to a close, but bringing it back local, Glambia are a, a company headquartered in Kilkenny and looking for permission to develop a, a cheese plant in Bellevue in the south of County Kilkenny. It's been hitting the national headlines and even reported uh, to be causing tensions within government and people are saying it's setting precedents for political uh, input into the planning process, which, as we all know, has been problematic here in the past. What's your take on the whole Brexit uh, on Tashka, uh, sorry, Glambia on Tashka planning row. 
Yeah, well, I, I support the development. Uh, I met the company, um, Royal Air, the Dutch company, to assure them of uh, government support. They work very closely with the IDA. Um, it's worth uh, about 500 construction jobs and 100 full-time jobs, which uh, will be very valuable to the southeast. Um, it's worth revenue to Waterford Port, which is really important too. Uh, and, of course, uh, it'll help support the incomes of um, dairy farmers really all across the south of Ireland. And also will help us with Brexit because, you know, we're diversifying away from an over dependence on the British market when it comes to uh, dairy so uh, you know I, I support it and um, What about uh, people who would say though that bullets have to be bitten so to speak when it comes to dealing with envir- environmental issues and this is one such bullet that needs to be bitten and it's a bridge too far I, I, I don't agree with that assessment um, uh, and um, this was given planning permission, you, you know, and Borpinola heard the arguments, gave a planning permission, went to the High Court, the High Court upheld that planning permission. Now I understand Antashka is appealing it. Um, I would prefer if they were not, but it is it is their, their right to do so under our constitution. Um, but if there is an appeal, you know, I would encourage the Court of Appeal to hear it and hear it quickly because uh, there are jobs depending on this. Um, people's incomes depend on this. Uh, and I wouldn't like to see a repeat of the you know, data centre situation in, in Athenry that by the time um, the planning approval and the court approval came through, uh, the company went elsewhere. Yeah, fears um, expressed locally that that may happen. Do you think that's a, a reasonable um, anxiety for people to have? Um, I think it's an understandable anxiety and it would send out a very bad message in general about Ireland. Mm. Uh, you know, if two companies, two major companies found that they couldn't invest uh, in Ireland um, as a consequence of um, planning delays and uh, legal actions. Now, th- these are rare. You know, the vast majority of companies get planning permission and, and don't end up in the courts. Um, but it's not good for Ireland Inc. And like I say, if this is appealed, uh, would really like to see the Court of Appeal uh, hear it quickly uh, and make a decision quickly, um, precisely because uh, jobs and incomes depend on this. Yeah, and what about talk of tensions in government and so on? Is that just, uh, is that as bad as it seems? Um, that's exaggerated and that's just what happens. So um, there's been no row <laughs> or anything like that uh, at the cabin table about it. No raised voices or heated words. But the truth is um, there are different parties in government. Um, we bring different uh, perspectives to the table um, and that's an advantage uh, the vast majority of the time. Really good to have our green colleagues there. They bring fresh thinking, thinking that wasn't there before. Um, but sometimes we disagree on things. And on this occasion, um, you know, my party Fine Gael is very much behind this. It started under the last government. Uh, permission was granted. Uh, commitments were given. Um, and I think we should we should see it through. You know, you could argue that maybe in the future, um, some developments that may impact on the environment shouldn't go ahead. But I don't think you can pull the rug out in people who committed to an investment years ago mm. uh, and have got planning permission and have already been through the courts. So, uh, you know, it's just not good practice and not fair to, uh, you know, sort of change the rules in the middle of the game, if that makes any sense, whatever you may think about the environmental issues. Okay, well, finally, uh, Tarnishta, you stood in uh, New York, in Washington, I think it was, and then you announced the lockdown, I think it was on a Sunday night uh, in March, well over 15, 16 months ago at this stage. Could you ever have envisaged that things would have gone on this long and we'd still be talking about COVID, you know, as we're going facing into the second half of 2021? 
No, no, I, I couldn't have. I, I remember at the time uh, making those announcements and I thought, you, you know, six weeks to three months. Um, we did always think that there could be a second wave in the winter uh, and that that second wave could be severe because that's what happened with the Spanish flu. Um, but I didn't think that we'd have uh, so many businesses closed for so long and so many people out of work for so long. Uh, but the other thing I didn't envisage is that we'd have vaccines. And, you know, that is a miracle of science and a miracle of enterprise. Uh, and they work. Um, and where would we be without without those vaccines? And it's just wonderful that uh, they became available within nine months of the pandemic being declared. And imagine where we'd be today if that hadn't happened. Yeah, it must be an incredible experience to be at the centre of such historic events over the last 18 months. Uh, it is, and um, and it's a privilege too. And uh, um, it's a tough job, politics, and getting tougher all, all the time. But um, uh, every day, I remind myself um, of the enormous, the enormous privilege, privilege it is to, to be able to serve. And in my current role now, I'm Minister for Enterprise, Trade, and Employment. And I wake up every morning, and my priority is is those people who are on the pandemic unemployment payments, getting them back to work those thousands of businesses that have been closed for too long, uh, getting them open and making sure this time they stay open. That's uh, Tanish Dilley of Radker talking to me earlier this week. The Bottom Line on KCLR with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants. Now offering a complete life and pensions advisory service to business. www.omf.ie